Welcome to this week's episode of The Capitalist Investor, where you are missing one of the important pieces of the squad, but we got another important piece of the squad filling in. We got Dave Abate back for Derek Gabrielson. We have Tony Z, Tony the Tiger. We've got myself, not kicked off and fired yet, uh, Cool Hand Luke. What's up? <laughs> How you doing? Happy to be here, guys. Hey, again. my man. I thought Dave was going to take my spot, for real. I thought he was like officially going to be... That seat in. is too hot, Luke. I do not want that seat. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's too high, like, you know, I get a lot of flack for it, though, you know? A lot of people, uh, you know, get in. They're I, just, get, I get too hot. And they're they're just, like, it, it starts uh, start getting a bit too pessimistic, you know? I got to watch out sometimes. I think they're yeah. clamoring for you. All right. Well, we're, are we. <laughs> well, we're we going to. got a lot of interesting things today. We got <clears throat> a lot of things that happened over the weekend, a lot of sad things happened over the weekend. So I think we're going to talk about one of the things everyone wants to hear, um, kind of our financial takes on what's happening over in Israel and um, Hamas um, in the Middle East. Um, we've got possible minimum wage hikes again coming up. We've yeah. got more strikes on the horizon. What else is new? Every week a new strike pops up. And we've got a nice cancel for you coming up uh, as well. So we'll start off with the whole Israel and Hamas, uh, sad stuff that's happening in the Middle East, guys. I don't want to hit too much on the, you know, religious aspects or um, things like that. I want to hit more on the financial side and what you guys think that the overall impact is going to be on the economy markets, if it's long-term, short-term, things like that. Um, well, I mean, things <clears> – everything <throat> everything got everything escalated over the weekend, right? So I figured that when the markets opened on Monday – uh, the markets would be down, and they were, but um, they quickly rebounded, and we've have been up ever since. You know, we've been up. Uh, I think Monday was a down day, but Tuesday was a rally, and Wednesday is appearing to be a, a rally as well. Um, and I, you know, it's so crazy how everything is so interconnected because <clears throat> basically, what you've been having are Treasury yields coming down for the first time ever (laughs) in a long time, not ever, but uh, in quite some time. And that means that people are buying them. And if people are buying treasuries, they're more of a, you know, historically a safe haven, Mm -hmm. you know, for, for dollars, you know, to, to put your money in, in times of calamity. Right. And then, but now that is, (laughs) believe it or not, striking uh, inflation fears again, because as interest rates come down, people are like, Oh, it doesn't cost that much to borrow money anymore, so we're gonna go buy some stuff. Um, I don't know, but the the biggest thing is is that you know with this conflict in the Middle East, that's where most of the oil production comes from. Yeah, and you know we saw quite we well, saw Saudi Arabia and Israel were like in talks to like be in good terms, and this completely like ruined it. Yeah, like, there's not going to be much good terms between Saudi and Israel, and this could actually increase tensions between Saudi and the U.S. Right. And if that's the case, they already cut U.S. production estimates like um, two months ago, lowered the um, OPEC did yeah. over there, right? So if tensions rise, well, what are they going to do to the U.S.? If tensions rise to U.S. and Israel and Saudi Arabia, they're going to cut production more and increase uh, oil prices, right? right. Which is going to increase inflation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest short-term th- impact that I'm seeing and I'm you know reading about is and, – and really the next shoe to drop is if Iran gets – directly involved is um really that would that's where prices are going to surge i was doing a little digging on this one it looks when, like when you say get involved are you are you talking directly like, involved no, mi- mi- military yes, involvement like okay. the, the state 
okay. the state. Like if they get you know involved in the war. Um, Monday it looked like you know crude opened up about four percent higher just on the you know the the risk of that happening. And and to put it into context, like we kind of put ourselves in this situation <clears throat> ourselves. Like I I was looking at the numbers. The strategic reserve right now is at the lowest level since 1983. We're at um, 350 million barrels, and that's compared to 638 million barrels the week of Biden's inauguration. So we've kind of like done this to ourselves. It's become a national security issue now. It is, and it's it's perplexing on how we are where we are right now. Right, right. But but how many places can we be at once? We're in Ukraine. Maybe we're sending money there at least. Um, now, now we're now, now we're now we're immobilizing cra- aircraft carriers to. Well, the one we actually moved the one we had one an aircraft carrier in the like Mediterranean that was f- focusing on Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We repositioned that down like to the southern part of the Mediterranean to now focus on Israel. Yeah. So it's like, what's our focus now? Is it both? Is it one? What happens if China makes a move on Taiwan? Right. That's that's a big that's a big one. This is too. the time to do it. If I was in China's shoes, if yeah. I was a leader over there, <clears throat> I'd be making a move. Getting the Western world stretched pretty thin, right? It's starting to become that way, right? Yeah. Um. Sucks. I mean, I it, yeah, so this is this is the snowball effect, right? The whole Russia Ukraine was number one. This is number two. This is number two. Then you might have China, Taiwan. That's why I do think you mentioned a couple of things there, Tony. That I've been paying attention to. I tweeted a kind of subliminal tweet today. <laughs> just said bond yields. That's all I said. Yeah, but it's, I, that's what I'm paying attention to because that tells the full story. You know, bond yields at a time this morning when PPI came in hotter than expected. PPI came in at two percent. Did it really? I didn't even above like one point seven percent estimates. Wow! It got revised higher last month. Explain what PPI Bond is. Mar- so PPI is producer price index. It essentially is what the manufacturers are paying, which then goes on to the consumers, right? So wholesale pricing. Wholesale will eventually go to retail. So PPI comes in hotter. That means inflation stickier and is higher as well for the consumer, for you, yeah. for us. So. The fact that it came in hotter this month and got revised higher last month and bond yields ripped lower, not higher, means that the market's actually more concerned now about this whole Israel situation and flight to safety that you're referring to yep. outside of inflation. So now the Federal Reserve now has another piece of the pie that was completely blindsided unexpected. The price now now the rate hike, you know, rate rate hikes basically are not gonna happen essentially. It's pricing in the end of this this year. Rate cuts are pricing in, in March of next year that there's like a thirty five percent chance now of a rate cut in March. That was not priced in a week ago. Hmm. So the markets are worried that this is gonna cause a massive con you know, co- snowball effect, possible increase in conflict over in the Middle East. Um, could also cause maybe some issues with international revenues. Um, whether that's China, whether that's other revenues in Europe, you know, slow down in the economies in other places. What's interesting is as bond yields are um, dropping, you know, market's not really ripping higher. It's kind of staying flat. So it's just least market observations you can tell a lot and tell a story with. Yeah. I think it's important to tell that story because I, you know, I've been concerned about bond yields for a long time. And then now the market's, you know, dropping bond yields. You know, are we going to have that credit crunch? I was listening to I was listening to some talking heads. Like right now, there's earnings season is kicking off, and we're having uh, the banks, you know, always kick off earnings season. Um, and um, they were talking about how J.P. Morgan is uh, their forward 
uh, multiple is historically really low. Uh, Bank of America is trading at um, God. What is that? Um, the the coupon, not the coupon, uh, the book value per share yeah. rate. Like these are some historical lows for for banks. And um, would you, you know, like the, the question on TV and, and everyone did kind of skated the answer, is this a time to buy banks? I think it depends on their at what their um, balance sheet looks like, right? I mean, a lot of the banks, the ones that are going to be under the most stress are the ones. The smaller ones, right? Well, the ones that have um, exposure to assets um, that are going to have a problem when interest rates stay higher and they have to refinance their debt. Right, because that's where the delinquencies come into play, and then it's like a house of cards. And I think a lot of people are just—they're just saying, "I don't want any part of the financial exposure." Yeah, I mean, again, it comes back to the balance sheet that that Dave was referring to. I I would be less inclined to buy banks as a whole than I would be a couple of years ago, just because of where interest rates are. Um, I know, you know we own Charles Schwab; it's a very good balance sheet. Um, you know, they, they've been in the business for a long time. Regulations got tighter for bigger banks, right? So, I mean, that since 2008, 2009, that's, that's good. But the problem is, is all this debt needs refinanced at these higher rates. All you're talking about corporations, 20%. And we were talking about before the, the, the podcast, 20% of corporate, corporate debt comes due in the next two years. 50% of government debt becomes due in the next two years. Um, consumers, credit cards balances have risen. Auto loans obviously have risen. Mortgages have risen, right? This is all impacts the banks. The whole, the, everything goes back to the banks with right. interest rates, right? Um, so I'm concerned that, like you said, the smaller regional banks, um, loan uh, transactions are going to decrease a lot. They already have. Um, you don't want to own a bank that's more on the consumer transactional side i would say you want to own a bank that's diversified that's why we own charles schwab yep and then along with um jp morgan yep. you know and uh bank of america exactly so the small regionals they're just not like you mentioned well you're just gonna not have a lot of consolidation enough. you're gonna have a lot of the big banks come in swoop swoop out the small banks yeah essentially 50 years down the road we could have four banks in the whole u.s i almost thought it was going to happen in this last banking crisis you know because yeah, as these regionals start you know, as their price starts uh, falling, you know, they could be just there for takeover. You know, just, well, I, I just wonder, buy out. What I really wonder is if the open market, the mar- market's done the Federal Reserve's job for them for a long time. The market was, pre- you know, was, the move in the interest rates from 4% to 5% in the past like month essentially was accumulative to one or two rate hikes to the Federal Reserve. So the market kind of did the Federal Reserve's job on that, on the upside. What if the market actually does the Federal Reserve's job on the downside? What if things get pretty badly pretty quickly in the economy, whether it's war, flight safety, things like that? And rates, you know, actually the open market bails out the whole financial system by lowering rates back down to 1% or 2%. Obviously, we'd have inflation issues that are sticky at that point. What if there's a flight to safety in that, that, that way? That's something I'm, I've been thinking about. I'm like, what if the open market drives down yields by themselves because of flight to safety? <clears throat> and it bails out these banks. It bails out mortgages it bails out the whole basically financial system we could get a rebound of inflation back to 10 percent as well no it's a fine it's a fine balance go ahead fed claims they're data dependent so they're watching that stuff and i think to your point luke yeah they're 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 weighing in digesting all the other factors that are going on at the same time so when they you know if we go back to this conflict right now like they see the pressure it's putting on 
the world economy, and they're more likely to pause and take a, take a breath because they want to see kind of how it plays out before they just jam another hike into the picture and, and blow things up even faster. Right. All right. Well, we'll see how this plays out. Earnings season's kicking off, um, and we got a lot of uh, world conflicts going on. So yeah. we'll see how it plays out. Um, <clears throat> anything to get elected these days? We have a California representative um, who is coming out and saying that she thinks that the U.S. minimum uh, wage uh, workers should earn six figures and $50 an hour. Um, the, the current federal minimum wage is $7.25, and California being the highest at 15 So we're talking about, what is that? 300 to 500% increases on, on wages. Yeah. Okay. I, I just call that any, say anything to get elected. Haven't we learned like this multiple times throughout history? Like, do we ever, that's my problem with the current world is it's all agenda based and it's not facts based and we don't learn from history anymore. And if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. That's the saying, right? That's right. So, capitalism in itself no one first of all no one makes seven eight bucks an hour anymore like very few right people like i'm saying i say no one i mean like like minimally point zero one five percent point five percent of the population whatever that stat is right the reason because the reason of that for that is that capitalism's driven up wages amazon themselves have driven up driven up the minimum wage to 15 16 bucks an hour just because of capitalism and the power of innovation um and by itself the fact that we want fifty dollars a wage now, or this this whole you know minimum wage. It's, it's it's all a cycle. It's like inflation hurts the pocketbooks because of government spending, because of government raising minimum wages, because of things like that. These socialistic policies, then people get mad at these policies and want higher wages, and it's a whole doom cycle. This is the problem that we are at. You like that word, huh? That the doom doom cycle. cycle. I, I, yeah, we started I, that last I, week. I brought that up last <laughs> week. But this blends into one of our other topics. We got another strike coming. We got Mack Truck uh, going on strike. You know, because then it started with what UPS, then the automakers, and Vegas hospitality, and last week it was healthcare. Now it's Mack trucks. They want twenty percent increase, um, bonus ratification. Like I mean, it, this is going to be like this, um, th- this like snowball effect, as you mentioned before. And if if people are striking to earn more money, then the you know then the the employers are going to have to charge more for their services because they got to pay everyone so it's this endless endless um endless race uh, of to higher inflation yeah tony i mean tony you're hitting on like the wage price spiral right and like academically what you would say is these should be corrective forces meaning if the cost to, to produce the goods or services are getting higher right the demand for them from the supply demand equation is going to drop right and the employers are going to say all right now i need less people right which is going to lead to um more unemployment and lower prices so there should be some correcting forces getting involved here but look to your point it's just chaotic in terms of like when you read the headlines like it doesn't make any sense but this is where we're at yeah Yeah. well but then plus you have like the the um the jobs numbers coming in all all funky and stuff and and they're talking about oh there's there's you know job growth and and if you look under the hood it's really we're we're losing a lot of full-time jobs and the the part-time jobs are escalating so people are either have a full-time job and taking on a second job or they lost their full-time job and now have two or three part-time jobs 
So this goes back. I'm going to start off by saying my, my, my girlfriend works in HR and she talks with a lot of recruiters. And there's been a big shift in the past like year that recruiters are having a tough time finding people to switch jobs. Because a lot of people are concerned about the environment, concerned about losing their jobs. They want to keep them maintaining their jobs, not hop jobs. People are a little, you know, thinking a lot more about if they hop, are they able to maintain that for a long period of time? So the people that are a part of labor unions, I don't think are realizing that they don't have as much power as they did two or three years ago, you know, during the whole COVID crunch when everyone was paying 25, 30% more money to poach employees. Things are a little different now. That, that's the, that's I think the they're empl- all about that, to get a wake up call. That, that's quickly. the employee that should be concerned. The one that was hopping jobs and now I'm making 30 to 50% more than I was like, is, was that person really like, you know, capitalism? What was that really, was that person really worth it? That's a well, person that it, should be really this is worried where, about. This is where as an employee, most people don't think about quantifying what they're worth productivity. Like what is the value on their head? Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a value um, as from in terms of productivity and with unions, as Mark has alludes to all the time, I've, he's been talking a lot about it on Fox. You know, unions basically take an average of the most productive workers and the least productive workers and makes everyone equal. So the most productive get taken down and the least productive get taken up, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't work in long term. That's not capitalism. This is why unions ultimately always fail and actually hurt the system because in a capitalistic system, you have to learn how to teach the non-productive workers how to be productive, not just let them be non-productive and continue to work in the system. So I think a lot of people are about to get a wake-up call um, and realize that recessions are normal parts, downturns, and not making enough money is part of the, the, the cycle. And things always equal out in the end. However, the government is always there. seems to be there recently to bail out everything, um, including, you know, they did it back in 2008, 2009 to, I think, GM. They did it back to these automakers before. What's stopping them from doing it again? The Biden administration from giving these, these oh, yeah, we'll help support these, these labor unions and give them money. That's, this is the problem is you set precedents and people want more and more and more. They don't yeah. want to cut back their own spending habits because they're addicted to spending. They want to make more money and be takers of the system. This is why it's a big Ponzi scheme. If mm-hmm. we don't address it soon, the whole Ponzi falls. Yeah, absolutely. Any take on that, Dave? I feel like we got a downer of a show today. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is what happens when I'm here. Jesus. I, I just I want to be optimistic. I really do. Let's talk about the, let's Let's get to our canceled. Doing, let's talk about the Powerball. Let's, not, let's talk about pessimistic. Let's, let's, take let's talk, addicted to gambling. Let's talk about addiction to gambling and how Powerball um, it will be going off tonight um, as we record this show. Um, it is at one point seven billion dollars. Like that seems. Why are they so high lately? Do they change the formula? I'm not really a lottery play. I don't know how this I, works. I don't either. I, I mean, I guess when it's this high, I'll go spend. <laughs> 15 bucks. Yeah, and- do the like the expected value. You do the math. <laughs> 1.7 billion, where are my chances of winning? This is expected value. Well, I mean, like it was a big deal to get above a billion. It's like I felt like we've been over over a billion for inflation. It's inflation. real. I, I, I think I, maybe they're just making the odds harder. Well, no, I, th- this is actually something I've been paying attention to. Oh, like, this is something Im- I think it's important. We Before three, four years ago, we only had $1 billion jackpot. <laughs> And like the, this mega millions, whatever it's called, in history. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And yep. then the Good. past like year, we've had every time it's like over a billion now. So what does that tell you? If actually people are spending on credit cards, don't have money, don't have savings, and you've seen these billion dollar jackpots, people are gambling more. People are spending more on lotteries. 
So it's a, it's an actual behavioral thing. Like people are more willing to gamble when they're desperate, right? Uh, I Caesars, agree. MGM revenues are the highest they've ever been this year. Yeah, the sports book stuff. I mean, we're in, yeah. in, inundated with it with commercials. Yeah. So people want the easy way out, right? They don't want to put the work in the old fashioned, like, hey, you work hard, American dream. Like that's out the window. They want the get rich quick yeah. scheme. Lottery's quickest way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the after taxes and this, that, and the other, the lump sum is seven hundred and fifty million dollars. What do you do with that? <laughs> I mean, uh, if you, if any one of our, uh, you know, listeners is that, <laughs> more than happy to tell you how, uh, you know, give you advice on how to manage that money. <laughs> yeah, take the lump so, sum. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, w- I was always under the impression that okay, so let's let's just turn the show. If you were to win, Dave Abate, the the all star financial planner is here. We could make the, your plan the man, work the with man, the lump sum. What, what if you the voice of reason in the million office? Million dollars. Yes. Okay. What would be just some simple? You know, this is very. Un, we were unprepared to talk about this. I don't want to put you on the spot. What are some very simple general takes on ways and things you should be do if you were to win that money? First thing to do would be asset protection to make sure you're working with um you know a team of professionals that are going to help you protect your new wealth, right? You're going to need all the legal documents to get yourself set up. You're going to have generational wealth. So not only for yourself, but um, you're going to want to make sure your, you know, your children and their children are taken care of. I, I don't know what the stat is, but how many of these lottery winners, I think 70% end up going stat. bankrupt, right? Because they don't structure things the right way, and they spend it amazingly faster than it comes in. I saw last year's winner of two billion, which ultimately it was like lump sum and after taxes, like seven hundred million. Same, very similar to this. Um, he bought like a fifty dollar mansion in California, another thirty million dollar mansion in Cali, like two of them. And um, I mean, between property taxes, I mean maintenance, I mean hell, I mean I have a you know three hundred thousand dollar house, and I don't want to pay a hundred bucks a month to somebody cut my grass and everything else like that. Can you imagine the maintenance on like a fifty million dollar house property, like taxes and you have your your own crew? You have like (laughs) ten people employees working for you to maintain that house. Yeah, exactly. So you want to bulletproof your plan so that you can't mess it up, right? That's that's step number one. Yeah, the, the the last thing I want to do is walk up to the front of the line and I'm on TV and I'm holding the big check and the next thing I know I have a bunch of new friends and people are uh, you know kidnapping my family and so, stuff like all kind like I mean Tony be, would go into the witness protection. Program. Yeah, that's why you that, like you you mentioned legal trust or yep. legal like get yourself a trust and have the trust accept the money is always something that I've always. Um, you know, known that that's the best route to go. Some states actually allow you to be anonymous uh, for the acceptance of the money. And then the next thing is, is that um, I've always um, been under the idea of take the money now. I don't want to wait 30 years because what if, what if that money like disappears? What if that money goes to zero? What if there was bad investments with my money? Like go, if they're offering you the money right now, go get it. Yep. Right. That's kind of our take on social security. Right. Yep. Um, is while it's there with Social Security, the issue is 25 percent of the trust fund running out in like eight years. And um, the government, who knows what's going to happen with the government, you know, with taxes, um, take Social Security when you can get it. Same kind of philosophy of the government or whatever it is, which, you know, the po- Who's the biggest winner of the lottery? It's the government. <laughs> I mean, always, right? the, the house. The house always wins. <laughs> uh, take it while you can get it. So 
Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, people are gambling more, and I, I mean, I guess if people are gambling more and coming in, very unlikely to come in at a large mon- amount of money, but if you do come in a large amount of money, it's important to know what to do with it, right? Yeah. Seek help. Yeah. <laughs> Gamble responsibly. That's right. why they had the number right in the bottom of the screen, right? Right. <laughs> Gambler anonymous? <laughs> yep. That's funny. All right. Well, so, you know, to sum up, I guess, the convo today, um, you know, there are a lot of issues out there. And I, I do hate to be pessimistic a lot. And even Varney said to me on Friday, he's like, well, we're going this weekend pretty uh, depressed. <laughs> I'm like, well, sorry. Like, which, frankly, it was actually a depressing weekend. So it was very well. Fair. All right. But here, how, 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 to be, how do we be optimistic, though? Yeah. Uh, one optimistic thing for the, the market. Um, according to a lot of analysis, um, you know, analysts and things like that, they are um, saying that we're expecting a 10% earnings growth next year. And if the market was good this year with 10% with everyone beating their numbers and hitting their targets and 10% growth, then the market should be in good shape for next year. Yeah. So just watch out for those black swan events. My, uh, my last piece here will be just on a planning angle, right? There's a lot of anxiety out there. And we, Tony, we recently talked about this. One of the best antidotes for all that anxiety is to prepare yourself. Right. And what what practically what that means is, you know, when you're working with a with a team, they should be stress testing your financial plan, your portfolio to see what happens when this negative stuff, if it were to happen, how, how does that impact your personal situation? So you have more confidence that you're set up and you're in a more all weather kind of plan that's going to get you through, you know, these potential risks. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess it's my turn. Um to be optimistic, um, my optimistic take <laughs> is that we keep the Ponzi going a little bit longer. So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate everyone uh, listening as always. Uh, I think we'll have Diamond Hands Deep back next week. Maybe not. We got maybe Dave. Uh, do we have a name for Dave? We'll come up with one if okay. we don't. We can't come up on the spot. All right. <laughs> well, it's always nice having you, Dave. Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks to everyone again for listening to The Capitalist Investor. And again, if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, Always feel free to hit you know me, Tony, Dave up on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever it be, on, on our website, email. You've got our emails as well. Uh, more than happy to take suggestions. We're always looking for more optimistic things to talk about. Maybe you have one. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening again. We'll see you guys next week. The opinions expressed in the podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any investment, legal, financial, or tax strategy. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. Please consult a qualified professional about your individual needs.